American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. So the next 40 years will be a period of expanding U.S. involvement and even control over the Western Hemisphere. And what we'll see here is these uh, twin forces of U.S. military power and U.S. economic control advancing, working their way into different societies throughout the Americas. And this, in turn, will be uh, a process that sets patterns for U.S. expansion into the global economy and into the global political economy over the rest of the 20th century. Now, the two policies right at the outset that we should mention because they do shape American policy in general for the next few decades. The first is the one that Theodore Roosevelt announces when he becomes president. And that's what is called the Roosevelt Corollary to the Monroe Doctrine. The Monroe Doctrine, of course, said that European powers should keep their hands off the Americas. They should not try to interfere with the independence of countries in North or South America. Now, about 80 years later, comes the Roosevelt Corollary, which argues that if a nation state in the Americas is so weak and unstable that it might invite European intervention, then the U.S. has the obligation and the right to intervene in the affairs of that country uh, and, and take over if necessary. This will be used repeatedly to justify U.S. interventions in places like the Dominican Republic, Honduras, Haiti, and other places in the Caribbean and South America. Another piece of that doctrine of intervention will be William Howard Taft's uh, argument uh, that the U.S. should use what he calls dollar diplomacy to advance its interests throughout the Americas. Taft is the successor to Roosevelt in the presidency, uh, and he will uh, convince numerous states uh, throughout the Americas to accept American loans, sometimes directly from the government or uh, managed by the federal government, and sometimes from U.S. financial institutions. Of course, when those loans aren't repaid, as often happens, then the Roosevelt Corollary comes in. Those countries are presumed to be unstable, unable to meet their obligations, and boom, it's time for an intervention to ensure uh, that nobody else, no other country, is able to intervene and take over the affairs of that country. Uh, one particular intervention that is going to be really significant for the development of American capitalism and indeed for global ca capitalism is the U.S. intervention in Panama. In 1903, uh, Panama, as we know it today, is controlled by Colombia. It is part of Colombia. The U.S. forms uh, a treaty with a delegation from Colombia which grants control over what is today the canal zone in Panama where the U.S. is planning to finish a canal started by the French. When that treaty is brought back to Colombia, the Colombian National Assembly refuses to ratify it. So the U.S. works with a group of Panamanian separatists to achieve independence for that country, and that country immediately signs the Canal Zone Treaty with the United States. Between 1904 and 1914, the United States finishes the construction of the Panama Canal. The biggest single engineering project up to that point in the Americas, certainly the biggest up to that point in the history of the United States, and costing about $8 billion in today's terms, the Panama Canal revolutionizes trade between the Pacific and the Atlantic. 
it will become a centerpiece of American economic development for the next 50 or 60 years. So in 1914, the Panama Canal opens for business. And this is the literal integration of the globe, linking two massive oceans in a way that they had never been linked before. And if we look around the globe in 1914, we see what seems like a contradictory picture. On the one hand, huge swaths of the surface of the Earth are controlled by small countries in many cases, like Belgium, for instance, uh, in Europe. And this seems like a world that is divided, uh, a world that is characterized by injustice, and a world that we could see as uh, possibly um, divided by economic barriers as well. But actually it isn't. In many ways, the global economy in 1914 is more integrated than it will be again for about 70 or 80 years. Tariff barriers are actually relatively low. Goods are moving around the world with relative ease. Even people are moving around the world inside these empires with relative ease, again in a way that they won't do again for many decades. Because, of course, the other side, to go back to the first side, the side of injustice that we see coming out of empires, what's also happening is tremendous competition among these imperial powers. They are struggling to gain control over more territories. The possibility of a war between these powers over territories seems to grow greater every day. And with every conflict, the distrust between them uh, rises to greater levels. And many of them are building weapons, new kinds of weapons, at a, an alarmingly greater rate uh, with every single year. Germany and Britain are in particular in fierce competition and Germany and France have great rivalries against each other. It seems like only a matter of time before a spark sets off an explosion. And that, of course, as we know, is exactly what happened. And in 1914, we see the beginning of World War I, which ushers in a period of 60 or 70 years of worldwide conflict focused on Europe, but having tremendous effects on the United States and on U.S. capitalism. For more information, go to edX.org and look for American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist, or go to facebook.com slash American Capitalism MOOC. This podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University. Mm-hmm.